You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarysouth.com. But here we are. We're back in the book of Genesis. If you need a Bible, the guys are ready to bring you one. Just put your hand up. We want you to be in God's Word. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, take that. That is your, our, our gift to you. Uh, we want you to have God's Word in your hands at all times, both here and at home. When you're, when you're wanting to hear from God, you open up the Bible and you hear Him speak through His Word. And so as we gather, we're turning back to the book of Genesis here. We've been in the book of Genesis already for three Sundays, in chapter one for three Sundays, and we're going to close out chapter one here this morning uh, in the creation of man, being created in the image of God, Imago Dei. Well, friends, as we look back to what we have learned so far, um, let's just take a few minutes here to recall where we are in the text and what we've seen up to this point already. Uh, we've seen that this book of Genesis already is, is about God revealing himself to his people. And what we've seen up to this point so far in God's self-revealing creation account so far, uh, we have seen already, starting in verse 1, just a few weeks ago, we witnessed that it, it all begins, right, in the beginning, God, that it was him who created the heavens and the earth, in verse 2, we see a, really a snapshot. You can kind of think of it almost like a, a selfie picture of him hovering over his creation, about to bring everything into existence by the word of his power, right? As he's over the earth and everything was formless and empty, what we've witnessed so far is our creator God forming what was formless and filling what was empty. And he does that over the next six days. And he began by creating light on the first day, and then he separates light from the darkness, day from night. Day two, he, he separates the waters below to the, to the waters above, right? He's separating the surface of the earth uh, up into the, the sky, the separation between the two. And day three, we already seen him then, then separating the dry land from the oceans. And then he begins to, to fill the earth with vegetation and plants and trees, remember, all according to their kinds. And then day four, we see God creating the sun and the moon and the stars to establish uh, the function of time and, and the boundaries of the universe and the whole function of how all of that operates perfectly according to his plan. We see that there are sources of, of light and the darkness that he created on day one. And then we also saw on day five that God began to fill the oceans and the sky, right? This, this filling of what he has already formed. And then on day six, we see how he began to fill the dry land, right? That land that he created on day three. And he's filling it with land animals all, again, according to their kinds. And then climactically, at the end of it all, on day six, we see God creating mankind. And we touched on this uh, just barely last time we were together, and, and uh, my plan was to come back and to kind of zoom into this. In fact, in chapter two, God does his own kind of recall of this and zooming into how exactly this is taking place. But what we see him here doing is creating mankind, and he's creating mankind 
in his image. He's creating humanity. And through all of it up to this point, what we are understanding about God is that he is a creative God, right? He had a, a creative initiative from the very beginning. He, and as we see him creating his people now, he is teaching us again about himself and about his glory. We've seen already his creative passion, his creative power, his creative purpose, and his possession of it. And we've seen him teaching us about his omnipotence, right? That's his all-powerfulness. We've seen this intentionality, creating kinds exact, exactly as he, he determined. And then we see at the end here this focusing in upon the creation of mankind. And so as we see it all began, we see that he did it. And he deserves all the credit for it, all the glory, all of the worship, to, to, work, to freely worship our creator God. Friends, none of this happened by chance. None of this happened by some kind of fanciful theory. It all happened because of God, the only God, who now as we turn our eyes upon him in verses 26 to 31, he does something astounding. He does something so unique. He does something so distinct that it should just absolutely blow our minds, it should melt our hearts, it should humble us, that he created us, humanity, in his image, right? Mankind, male and female, right? He created them, to which he, he gives, and this is what we're gonna study today, he gives us a divine purpose, he gives us a divine position, he gives us a divine pattern, over all of this creation. And then we're going to see at the tail end of this a divine plan. So friends, if you've ever wondered why you're on this planet, you know that whole why am I here question, well friends, today God is going to answer that question for you. And the, and the answer comes directly from God himself, and it's an answer that he's not hiding. It's an answer that he's been revealing from the very beginning, and it's contained perfectly in the word of God. So starting in verse 26... The scriptures say this, it says, Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the, of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Let's pray. Father, as we again approach the very beginnings, the very foundations of who we are, 
our, our very foundations of understanding who you are. We pray that you would open our eyes to see your glory, open our hearts to receive the transforming power of your Holy Spirit at work with your word, transforming us and renewing us into the image of our creator. God, we pray that today that for those who are coming in the doors and those who are coming to worship, right? This is, this is the, the priesthood of God. This is the royal priesthood. These are those who you have set in place, those who you have given dominion over your creation. We pray that as we learn about our, uh, our responsibility as a humanity to reflect your image, that you would continually transform us and that we would be better reflectors of who you are in this land. We love you, God. We ask for your help. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me ask you here this morning again, why are you here? Why are you here on this planet? Why are you here in this universe? Why are you here at this specific time and at this specific spot on our globe? And then with that, I also want to ask you, what makes you distinct from the animals? What makes you distinct, unique, from the rest of God's creation? Well, friends, just as God so clearly and distinctly and even surprisingly states here in verse 26, he says, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And this is one of the most profound and insightful statements that you could ever hear for your life, for your purpose, that the answer to all of your greatest questions that you could ever have is, is found in God creating you in his image. That as we ponder what all of this is about, that whole why am I here question, God himself after creating this unfathomably complex, beautiful universe, leans down to us right now through his word and answers us so directly that you are here because God says, I made you. But even more than that, I made you in my image, in my likeness. Friends, if there is anything greater to learn today, learn this. That mankind is created for so much more. You are created with a divine purpose. And you were created to reflect his image. That's point number one. Now we touched on this last time that we were together and we talked about how God so climactically closes out his creation by creating us by him stamping his image upon us. But today we're going to dig a little deeper. We're going to examine what all of that means. What it means to be made in the image of God. What that means for our lives. What that means for our meaning, our purpose. And friends, what we find out here again is that our purpose is divine. We're not merely a lump of cells that has been sent out on some kind of random sequence of chance and meaningless. No, we're all born with the innate sense that there is something greater, and that greater someone created us for something greater than ourselves. He created us for him. He created us to reflect him. And so as we start to look at the text here, 
We see on the heels of him creating the land animals, the livestock, the creeping things that he says is good, the beasts of the earth, right, according to their kinds on day six, on that same day, there is a major shift in the narrative of his creation. There is a massive new focus in God's creative work. And we see it all begin here in the text by a change of voice. As up to this point, his voice is saying over and over again, right, let there be, he says, let there be light, let there be an expanse, let the waters, let the earth, as God was speaking all things into existence, up to this point, he's speaking in the third person voice, but now he changes his voice to the first person, and he says, let us. First person plural, actually. Let us. Not let the earth bring forth, as he did with the animals. No, he says, let us make man. Revealing his intimate, hands-on involvement here. That this man, this person that he is determining to make is more special than anything else up to this point. More special than the universe. More special than the birds more special than all those beautiful sea creatures, all that variety of animals. No, it's like God is rolling up his sleeves here to to bend down and to give more detail, more focus, more attention, more distinction. And this is a distinctive moment that is so special because not only is the creation of mankind the final pinnacle of his remaining work. No, it's so special because the creation of mankind involves God imprinting his very image into his universe. God's likeness is being pressed into his creation. And he does this by forming mankind, by creating humanity. Verse 26 Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Image and likeness. Friends, what we see here is that this great cosmic temple that God is creating is not complete until his image is stamped within it. Until his image is stamped upon you. As we think about the original audience, right, we remember the context. The Israelites are with Moses in the wilderness, and they would have witnessed all kinds of temples and shrines and idols back in Egypt. What they knew about worship was that as man would often carve out an image and call it God, what we see here is the true God creating the whole universe as his temple and stamping his image into that temple, into people. Friends, as the world so readily worships the animals and the stars, the creation, what God again is showing his people is that our overall purpose is not to worship the creation, but rather to be image bearers of the creator. That we are divinely designed to worship the creator. That's our purpose. Friends, although an elephant or a monkey or a frog can cause us to wonder about the glory of God, there is nothing more distinctly awe-inducing than to realize that I'm, I'm more than just an animal. 
I'm more than just a higher ordered species of animal. I'm more than just a further evolved, higher intelligent animal. No, I'm created in the one who created it all. From day one. Friends, we're different. We're a different kind than the animals. We're different than the birds and dogs and hummingbirds. They don't bear the image of God. No, only one kind does, and that is humanity. Notice, as all of the other trees, plants, birds, sea creatures, and animals were created according to their kinds, here in our text today, it doesn't say that we were created according to our kinds. No, it says we were created here according to his kind, his likeness, his image. Friends, mankind has a distinct uniqueness above all other living things because there is something about what God creates in us that is reflective of him. In fact, it's a reflective a reflection of him as we see here in a plural sense. Notice he says, let us. He doesn't say, let me. He says, let us create man in our image, not my image, our likeness. As the Holy Spirit is writing the scriptures, right? And as he's writing through Moses, even in the very beginning, God is starting to reveal plurality. Let us in our image, in our likeness. What God is creating not only reflects him in his unity, his singularity, no, what he's creating is also reflective of his plurality. Look down to verse 27. So God created man in his own image, singular. In the image of God, he created him, singular. Male and female, he creates them, plural. Friends, as God says, let's make man, he never meant to just reflect himself, singularity in the male form. No, he meant to reflect himself holistically as he created both male and female, a plurality. So mankind, one, male and female, more than one, a plurality, and in unity. And this is just the beginning glimpse of, of what we Christians understand as a Trinitarian plurality in the Scriptures. From the very beginning, we're seeing Moses here writing, again, the Holy Spirit writing through him. He's speaking of a plurality. And that's meant to be reflected through the male and the female. There's more to come on that soon as, as we go into the next chapter for sure. But again, remember, we're higher than the animals. What we're seeing here as well is a created order with man on the top, man as in humankind, for the ultimate purpose of reflecting the very image of God within his creation. So there's much more of that to come next, next week for sure. And so how does God begin creating his image of God. How does his creating of the image of God change things? Why does that change? Why does it matter? What does it mean to be made into his likeness? Like even for you this morning, what does that mean? Why does that matter? Well, friends, being created in the image of God changes absolutely everything. It provides purpose for us. It provides divine meaning for us, right? 
in a world that is lost and confused and coming up with all kinds of far-fetched philosophies and ideologies of existence, God says to us, again, it's all about me. And it's all about me in you. And so when you think about the difference of his stamped image and what that makes on us, as you think about the animals and the differences that you see, even just between us and them, you can start to see quite readily many distinct traits that cause us to stand out as distinct. Right? Like first, unlike the animals, as we study the scriptures, humans are soul body entities. As Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, he says, And may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, we have physical bodies like the animals, but we have uniquely an immaterial spirit. That's like God. We are also spirit like God. God, we have an eternal soul. Which means, friends, little, little Fido or, or Fifi, whatever you call them, as much as they have little kind of characteristics, they are not persons. They don't have an eternal God-reflecting soul and spirit. Right? In a world that is valuing animals almost more than humans these days, we have to remember just that. Animals are not like God. And this also means dignity. This means that we have dignity over all of the living things. Right? This means that the killing of an animal comes nowhere close to the killing of a human being. Right? Murder is horrific, because it is the destruction of God's image in man. Genesis 9-6 confirms this. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? For God made man in his own image. Friends, that's why abortion is not women's reproductive health care. What it really is, is murder. It is the destruction of God's image in utero. That's why euthanasia is not compassion. Euthanasia is murder. It is the destruction of God's image in a person. No, friends, to bear God's image results in human dignity above the animal's. Human dignity, and also we see here human equality as well. No one has the right to own anyone. No one has the right to demean or, or anyone based on the color of their skin or their creed or their condition in life, even when it comes to men and women here. It, it doesn't say here that only men are created in the image of God. No, it says what? It says male and female, I created them. Distinct, yes. Equal, yes. No, friends, dignity is at the very core of what it means to be a God-reflecting human. Another aspect of the difference between animals and people is, is the sense of morality. Image-bearing 
means that we have morality. Right? Unlike survival of the fittest, like the animals, humanity is born with God's imprint of a conscience. We have a moral compass of what's right and wrong. As animals operate merely from, and, and Wayne Grudem says this, he says, fear of consequence or just the hope of reward, we know instinctively that murder is wrong. That taking something that is not ours is wrong. This is reflective of us being made in the likeness of God. As well, we know that mankind has the ability to reason and to think logically. Friends, no animal has ever advanced beyond the instinctually motivated uh, aspects that God has given them from the beginning. Right, like just think about it. Right now in this world, there is not a kingdom of advanced turtles, right? Orangutans aren't holding conventions downtown. Calgary, I mean, maybe you might call some of them orangutans. I don't know. <laughs> They're not arguing about genetically modified bananas. No, only one living thing has continued to learn and advance beyond just natural instinct, and that's humanity. This goes with our ability to communicate as well. Our God is a communicating God. That's why you have that Bible in your hands. God communicated to you perfectly through his word. We have complex language. We communicate with each other. That is more than just grunts and whistles and and barks and growls. But we have deep complex articulation of, of thought and knowledge through thousands of words and, and so many languages. The same goes for creativity. Like God, we create. We don't create exactly like him because he created it all from nothing, but what we do is we use his stuff and we make stuff. Right? We invent stuff. We problem solve. We create beauty like him, art, music. We tell stories. And like him as well, unlike the animals, we have complex emotions, relationships, commitment, covenant, fellowship, worship, love. Nothing that any animal could ever come close to having, friends. No, we are humans. We are distinct. We are created in the image of God. We are created in his likeness. And so our divine purpose, friends, is then to reflect his image into the world and then back to God. We're called to continue to grow in his image, to reflect more of his image. We're going to talk about that later. But for now, just in the fact that God personally creates us in his image, We need to just let that sink in. That needs to sink in in light of a world that just wants to tear down his image in us and in themselves. And let us all the more realize and embrace this divine purpose to reflect it back into the world all the more so that the world would see God that they would believe in God and all for his glory. Right now, as much as we understand 
All of these aspects we're talking about, and there's more, of course, about God's image in us. From this text, we're going to see some very distinct ways that humanity was designed to reflect his image. And the first here is we see that we are given a divine position. We are given a divine position, and that is to rule his creation. Back in verse 26, God says, personally speaking, he says, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Right? Over every living thing that God has filled the earth with already, mankind, his image bearers, are to take dominion over it, to rule over it. As you look down to verse 28 as well, it also says here that we are to subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Think about like, like when the sun and the moon were given as, as stars, right, to, to give man light, right, to serve mankind. Every living creature falls under our privilege, use, and oversight as a humanity. And this is right from the beginning. Friends, humanity has had a relationship with the created order, with animals, from the very beginning, and that, that relationship is about dominion over it. When you think about it, we've tamed the wild. right? We, we've used them for help, for us to get things done. That's taking dominion. When you think about the wonder and the perfect design of a horse and how it's just so suitable for, for, for a vehicle for man to ride, that's God giving us something to use to take dominion over it. When you think about the power of an ox to pull a plow, you think about us using dogs to help us hunt. Think of homing pigeons, Right? And just think about the warm companionship of a pet. Friends, what a, what a gift our God has given us, this variety of animals and living things to subdue and to use for our advantage, for our advancement even, for our good. And then we also see with that, God gives us dominion over all the vegetation that he created on day three, 29 to 30 says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And all the vegetarians and vegans say amen. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. What a kind and caring God. What a sustaining God. That he provides for us all the food that we need. And he even feeds the animals that we're going to need. For us to use. For us to take dominion over. In fact, we're going to eat the animals. We know that that comes pretty soon. We're going to learn in the, the next chapter. Uh, Adam was charged with 
tending to the garden. He was being the steward of it all. And so, friends, as you see, our position that we have been given, we understand that progress and advancement in the world is a part of our reflection of God's image in us. To use and to steward God's good creation for our good, for his glory. And he, this is exactly what he designed to take place. When you think about taking dominion, you know, the hunting of animals for food. Sorry, vegetarians and vegans. But yes, eating of animals will be mentioned in Genesis 9. All of creation is given for us to use. Not only for our food, but creation is also given to us as resources. Just think about building a fire. What do you need? You need wood. All of this is given for us to have heat and, and to cook and all these kinds of things. Think about the skins that they were going to need for clothing. Think about the materials that they're going to need for shelter. Think even about the minerals that they're going to need for trade. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2, it already mentions gold, bdellium, and onyx. These are valuable minerals. Right? Where would we be without the drilling of oil and, and natural gas today? This is an Alberta sermon. Think about the damming of rivers that provides us electricity, the mining of coal. And then as these new days have come upon us, the mining of lithium, cobalt, and nickel, right? these really toxic elements used in the production of these clean electric car batteries that run mostly on coal-fired electricity. Yes, friends, as much as this text would remind us of using resources, it also reminds us of being good stewards of the plethora of resources God has given us. The use of these resources, friends, is not evil as the world wants you to believe. This is a part of taking dominion over the earth. Yes, let's be good stewards, but all of this starts in the beginning. If you look at just the firstborn generation of Adam and Eve, Cain was a farmer over the vegetation. He's taking dominion over the vegetation. And Abel was a shepherd. He's taking dominion over the animals. Right? They're subduing creation in order to care for themselves and their families. And it's all given for their advancement and so that they can succeed. And then not too long into Genesis, in the histories, you're going to see that they're going to be building cities and, and industry is happening. There's going to be advancement in that ancient technology. They're going to go from bronze to, to steel to nowadays, where we have the Jeff Bezos and the Elon Musks firing rockets into the skies, planning to go to Mars. Friends, we have a never-ending thirst for exploration, we want to look at the deepest depths of the oceans. We want to climb the highest peaks of the mountains. We want to go into the furthest reaches of space. And all of this is a result of us being designed as image bearers. We're taking dominion. We have been given rule. And yes, again, we need to be good stewards. We only use what we need. We don't be wasteful. We don't exploit for the purpose of greed, that's for sure. But friends, we do need to embrace and obey this command given directly to mankind before the fall to take dominion. Now, for most of us, we're not out in the farm tilling the soil. Right? We're not raising cattle 
We're not digging gold in the Yukon. But in some form, every one of us is taking dominion over the earth. Right? A lot of us here in Calgary work oil and gas or you're connected to some kind of service that is connected to the oil and gas sector. Many of us work downtown. Many of us work construction. A lot of us are working at home, taking care of kids. Friends, in one way or the other, you were taking dominion. Right? Washing a dirty kid is taking dominion. Changing a diaper is, is taking dominion. Preparing supper, packing lunches, ladies, this is taking dominion. Vacuuming the floor, washing the clothes, Figuring out your meal plan. It's taking dominion. We have guys and we also have gals that are programming software and systems. Some here are pulling wire. Some are installing furnaces, caring for the sick. It's taking dominion. Mowing the grass, weeding the garden, hunting moose to fill the freezer. It's taking dominion. And what we see of God's character imprinted upon us is that all of this requires that we get up and do it. Yes, we have a royal, kingly kind of connotation in this position. We are vice regents of God here on the earth. But it doesn't happen apart from work, especially after the fall. No, as God worked six days to create it all, he rested one day. Friends, to be an image bearer of God is to work and to work hard at subduing the earth. Some of our kids need to take dominion over their rooms. Picking up the clothes, picking up the Lego. Some of our teenagers need to take dominion in making of their bed, cleaning their room. That's their little kingdom, right? Take dominion of that. Take care of it. Some of us men need to take dominion over our garages. So clean it up. Organize it so that it better serves you. And I'll confess, I need to take dominion over the dandelions in my yard. I really do. Ladies, you know that urge that you have to decorate and to make things beautiful? That's from God. That's a particular way that you reflect him in taking dominion. But maybe washing the dog or scrubbing the toilet doesn't feel much that way, but it is. It's a godly thing. It's a godly thing to be industrious, to advance. And friends, it's an ungodly thing to be lazy. Being slothful does not reflect the God of creation. Well, friends, we need to teach our children to work hard for the Lord. Proverbs 24 Sluggards do not plow in season, so at harvest time they look but find nothing. Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. As the Israelites, again in the context, are hearing this command, and they know that they're heading towards the promised land. And they're promised that this is going to be a land that is overflowing with milk and honey, but that doesn't mean it was a handout. They were going to have to take dominion once they got there. They were, they were called to be a ruling nation in the promised land. They were going to have to battle God's enemies. They were going to have to build cities. They were going to have to start commerce and farming and shepherding. They're going to have to seek the resources to make their way. And friends, this is all God's good design 
and it's still alive today, his image bearers reflecting his creative power in the world. And so let me ask you, how's your image bearing going? How's your dominion going? Is life taking dominion over you? Are you taking dominion over it? Friends, as we're as, what God has revealed, we're top of the chain of living things. We are vice regents. We are representatives of God in this world. We are special image bearers. Therefore, we are to be models of excellence and effort in the workplace, in the neighborhood, in our home, in our churches for his glory, right? As we already read in Psalm 8, in verse 5, it says, Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Friends, that's our divine purpose and divine position. And then when you look back to, the, back to verse 28, to the first half of that, it says here, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Be fruitful, speaking specifically to the male and female he created here in verse 27, meaning be fruitful in procreation. The making of babies, the building of families and generations. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with yourselves. Again, you think about that, the earth was formed and now now we're filling it. He's filled it with animals, birds, fish, and now we're to fill it with ourselves. Fill it with the image of God all over the face of this planet. It's a divine pattern that we are called to reproduce his life. Just think about it. Think about the beauty and the wonder that two distinct people, men and women, male and female, very countercultural to our world right now. Gender is defined by biology. We believe in truth. We believe in absolute truth. We don't believe the lies that our governments and our education system are trying to teach us. Two distinct people, men and women, male and females, they have been designed to, with a process of intimacy, which then just miraculously produces another person. I don't think we stop and think about that enough. This beautiful thing he has designed, this intimacy, bursts forth another person. It's incredible. How an act of love, the act of sexual union, how the sperm from a man will enter the egg of a woman, and and instantly life is created. Another person is created. And they're created in the image of God. Created different than the animals created different than all the creeping things because this person is not just a physical being, but it is a spiritual being as well. Right from conception. Why don't you just think about that and marvel at that. At one moment, all there is is just a sperm and an egg and the next moment, like wham, a brand new body, spirit, entity. A person is now alive with an eternal soul. 
the image of God in utero. It's, it's absolutely incredible. Every conception and every birth of a person is just an absolute miracle of God's creative power. And as God has created them in his image, male and female, he created them. It also says that he blesses them. And he commands them to be fruitful and multiply. This is why across our planet, men and women continue to make babies. They continue to build families. They continue to multiply across the globe. I mean, like our population in the world right now is 7.75 billion people. And it all started from these two people, Adam and Eve. Like right now, across our planet, 385,000 babies are going to be born just this year. About 20,000 babies are going to be born just during this church service. 140 million babies a year, and it's multiplying all the time. The power of multiplication means that it's exponential growth. Right, like in 1960, the world only had 3 billion people, but just 60 years later, we have 7.75 billion people, and they project that we're going to hit, in 2056, about 10 billion people. I would say, as just looking at that, those numbers, we are being fruitful and multiplying across our planet. Now, it's interesting to see these numbers, but it's also interest, interesting to see that uh, who is multiplying the most in fact, what we're seeing in North America is actually pretty concerning. Birth rates are declining here while they're soaring everywhere else. In fact, the other day I was working on my family tree and I was surprised to see how many kids my ancestors had just two generations ago. Like their families were like 15 and 18 kids. In fact, my grandma was a child of 17 and then she went on to have eight kids herself. When you look back to the 1800s here in Canada, the average birth rate was six kids per family. But over the last 150 years, that has now dropped to 1.5. 1.5 kids per family in Canada. It's projected to fall even lower than that, as some people are choosing to have no kids at all. Right, we have birth control pills we have, from the 60s, women's liberation movement, 121 million abortions a year. We have postmodern thought. We have marriage and adolescence being pushed further later in the 20s and even into the 30s. We have a cost of living. We have inflation. Many different factors that are promoting this. We, we have this climate crisis that people are concerned about. The fact is we're just having fewer babies here. This is even being, being encouraged by laws today. It's even being forced by regimes across our planet. Friends, as much as the world is multiplying, there are serious concerns about our perspective on the beauty and the blessing of children and family, especially in Western society. Now, I'm glad to say our church is been pretty good at being fruitful and multiplying. Uh, on Easter Sunday, we had 134 people at church. 47 of those were kids. Keep multiplying, friends. 
Fill the quiver, for sure. Children are a blessing from the Lord, and his image is multiplying. Now, with that as well, we also acknowledge that because of the fall, we're having challenges having children. Some are, would just love to have a baby, and some would make such great parents, but yet it's not happening. Sometimes with no medical explanation, and our hearts are with you, praying for you. But please know that your desire to be parents, your desire to have kids, again, is a reflection of God's desire. You want to raise them up to be image bearers for his glory, and that is good. And we are, again, we're praying for you. Now, as God commands us to be fruitful and multiply, we see this promise reoccurring throughout the book of Genesis. After God floods the earth... What does he do? He commands Noah and his family in Genesis 9.1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We also see in the Abrahamic promise, God says in Genesis 17, 6-8, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojourners, sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. You see this connection of the blessing of the land and the filling of that land. God also says to Jacob in Genesis 35, 11, God said, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you and kings shall come from your own body. And then on to Joseph at the, at the end of the book of Genesis, he says to him in chapter 48, verse four, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and I will make of you a company of peoples and I will give you the land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. This is the context of the people who are hearing the book of Genesis first as Moses is writing to the Israelites, as they're looking forward to the land of promise. He's preparing them to go into that land, to take dominion, and to be fruitful, and to multiply. Now, their memory of this command, maybe due to the 400 plus years in Egypt, maybe it was fading. Maybe they've forgotten their roots. But God is telling them here, I called you to do this from the beginning, and this is specifically how you do it going into the land. And so as much as we see this as a general uh, command of procreation as part of being image bearers, what we see here in particular is that procreation is for his covenant people, those who he has stamped specifically his saving image upon, and they are to go into that land, and they are to reflect it to the world. When you think about where Jerusalem is, where Israel is, at that time, it is the place where all the world travels through. It's the place of contact. And there to build their city, build their temple, and to be a light to the nations. The way that we see that here, we say that here is the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, the matured what? Multiplied, right? God's people multiplying, not only physically, but spiritually for the glory of God. Which then leads to the final point today, which is that God has a divine plan. 
He has a, a, a divine plan of renewal. And that renewal comes by his son. Verse 31 says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Friends, the reason that there was a divine plan is because very shortly, as we know, there is going to be a problem. And the problem is that as good as it all was, in fact, as very good as it all was, as God says himself, as very good as it was, as God stamped his image so uniquely and distinctly upon man and woman, the problem is that as much as we were to reflect the image of God by taking dominion and being fruitful, we know that just in a matter of time, in a matter of temptation, in a matter of just turning the page to chapter 3, what we're going to discover is what went wrong. That our responsibility and role as vice regents of God, reflecting his glorious image into the earth, becomes marred. It becomes stained because of our sin. It was just a matter of a short amount of time of humanity experiencing the blessing of God, the beauty of, of his creation, the unadulterated and intimate relationship of love that we had with him in the garden, that we would then listen to the questioning lies of a serpent, that we would question God's command and rule and goodness towards us, that we in Adam and Eve the first two human beings, that we in them would disobey God. That we would sin against our creator who created us in his image, in his likeness, by the eating of the forbidden fruit. That our dominion would be breached, that our fruitful blessing of intimacy then became our shame. That we tried to cover ourselves with the vegetation of the, the earth. We were trying to hide from God who so richly blessed us. Friends, it wasn't very long until the very image of God that we were meant to reflect became marred and stained and distorted in our sin. To the point that it not only infected and darkened God's glory in us, but it also infected all of creation the creation that God so generously gave us to rule over. It goes from blessing in chapter 1 to cursing in chapter 3. As death came into the world because of our sin, we were also to be separated from God, removed from his intimate presence in the garden. And that the vegetation of the land that once so freely and abundantly fed us was now going to be cursed with weeds and thorns. That taking dominion over the earth is now going to become so much harder for Adam. Right? God says to Adam in chapter 3, verse 17 to 19, he said, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. We also see that the living things would also be cursed with death like us. They'd be cursed with disease. We also see the beautiful blessing of procreation, of being fruitful and multiplying, would now become hard 
struck with difficulty, instead of the blessing of fruitful multiplication, God says to Eve in chapter 3, verse 16, I will surely, look at the word, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. And so friends, as we have these clear commands to take dominion and to be fruitful and to multiply, it's become so much harder. These commands still stand today, but it is hard. And the reason that it is hard is because of the sin of our first parents and the collective continuing in that sin of all of us. And as much as the whole universe and all that God gave us was given for us to truly marvel at his glory, we have stained it. We have marred it to the very utmost edges. And even more than that, we have marred and distorted the image and the likeness of God in us that we were created to reflect in the world. Therefore, we have a problem. It's the greatest problem that faces all humanity. The greatest concern for all. The greatest question that we could ask is, how can I be made right in my sin? How can I come back and truly reflect him as an image bearer? The image bearer that I was created to be. Friends, all of us fall short of the glory of God. We're all dead in our trespasses and sin. Any effort to try to be good enough can never recreate your fallen heart. You cannot make yourself shiny enough. Now, you've been called to reflect God's perfect beauty and righteousness, and this is something that you just can't do on your own. This is something that only Christ can do in us. No, friends, we need new selves. And we need new selves, and it only comes through Jesus Christ. It only comes from God himself coming down and putting on flesh. He put on flesh in the likeness of sinful man. Just think about that for a minute. As we were made in the image of God, God had to come down and put on our image in order to make us his image bearers once again to make us into his likeness once again, right? This Christ came down, this perfect image bearer himself, Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, and he is the firstborn of all creation. He is the exact imprint of God's nature, Hebrews 1.3. He is the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, 2 Corinthians 4.4. He is the one who came to live as the perfect, sinless image bearer of God, the one who perfectly rules and takes dominion, the one who is full of fruitfulness by his spirit in us. He is the king who came and humbled himself to the point of death for our sin, who then rose from the grave in order to stamp his perfect image upon us. And he is the one who calls us again to be new creations in him and to further be sanctified in him, to be purified in him, just as he created us to be. Right, Colossians 3.10, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. 
Ephesians 4, 23 to 24. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, right? Image likeness. Jesus came to recreate, renew us in his likeness. And he is faithful to continue that work in us today as we give ourselves to his word, right? The renewing of our minds, not being conformed any longer to this world, but being renewed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. That's the gospel of Genesis 1. This is our divine purpose, our divine position, our divine pattern, and the divine plan even before the creation of time. So friends, we're called to reflect God, rule over his creation, reproduce, and do all of it in the renewing grace of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that even just in the book of Genesis, the very beginnings, our foundations, we get such a clear picture of you and a clear picture of ourselves in light of you. And even though we haven't breached Genesis 3 yet, we all know the fall. We have all felt the thorns and the thistles. We have all walked forward in in the pain of, of childbearing, not just the act, but also the struggle. We know that living in this world, as beautiful and as glorious as it is, is hard. As we face wars and we face sickness and we face death, we come before you as your image bearers and we confess that we do fall short. But we do ask that you would continue to renew our minds, keep filling us by your spirit, keep causing us to walk in your ways, and may us always look to Jesus Christ the perfecter of our faith, the one, the Alpha and the Omega, who created us from the beginning and who came back to create us into his image once again. We love you, God, and we pray this in Christ's name.